Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else. Primarily, but not exclusively, involving the NBA. And that is here. The basketball gods have quite the sense of humor, don't they? Maybe maybe a sense of karma as well. Kyrie Irving made his season debut against the Indiana Pacers... But Lance Stevenson stole the show in the first half. The former Pacer back on a 10-day and scoring 20 first quarter points. And DeAndre Bembry, who fell out of the first half rotation for the Nets with Irving back, actually ignited the Nets' second half comeback. And that's not to say that Kyrie didn't contribute. He had 22 points and showed all the special abilities that have been his trademarks. The incredible handles and jitterbug moves, the pull-up mid-range jumper, the creative finishes around the rim. When I talk about karma, or it being funny that it would be Lance Stevenson who stole his thunder, it's because Lance Stevenson has been struggling, scratching, clawing to get back into the league, to be able to play. Misses being in the NBA, has been out of it for two years. And he gets matched up with Kyrie Irving, the triumphant return of Kyrie Irving. And somehow, some way, Lance Stevenson becomes the story more so than Kyrie. In any case, I enjoyed the entire game. Surprised in watching the first three quarters that the Nets found a way to finish it and end up winning going away 129-121. About the only downer was my fault. I made the mistake of watching the Nets feed of the game and I had to hear the broadcasters wax poetic about Kyrie's return. Hey, look, it deserved attention and I'm sure everybody was as glad to see him back in uniform as he was glad to be wearing one again. But the broadcasters made it sound as if he had been rescued from a deserted island or had been abducted by terrorists and finally escaped. Instead of what the truth is, he refused to get vaccinated in order to play. 
Then he caught COVID and he had to quarantine. And now, because the Nets changed their stance on using him as a part-time player, in part because everybody is being forced to utilize part-time players, he got to suit up. I'm sorry, but save the melodrama. I'm not looking at that as a tearjerker. That's simply life with Kyrie Irving. Because this was such a big game, uh, NBA TV decided to do something to lead up to it. And that's where I also got to hear a question about whether Kyrie coming back would hopefully reduce the number of minutes that Kevin Durant is playing. Now, I'm going to give them a pass because NBA TV, they're generally, if it's not the Hawks, they're not in tune with a particular team that they might be talking about. And broadcast and studio analysts are not getting a chance to be as close to teams as they normally would be in general. They're not traveling and interacting with the players and coaches as often as they normally would, thanks to COVID protocol. A lot of broadcasters are actually not traveling with their teams at all, which is wild to think of them calling these games from home studios. In any case, what they at NBA TV seem to be unaware of is that KD isn't interested in reducing his load or his minutes. I suspect he's set on winning another scoring title, which at the moment he's on pace to do. I also suspect that he's looking at the all-time scoring list and calculating just how high he can climb on it before he hangs up his size 18. So the fact that he's second to Fred Van Vliet in average minutes per game is not impacting him at all. And as a matter of fact, with Kyrie back, he still managed to play, I believe, 39 minutes. Never left the floor in the entire second half. So that's not by force. That's because that's what KD wants to do. I don't think he can get to the top of the all-time scoring list at this point, but I'd say he has a shot at top five if he plays at least four more years, which would take him to 37 years old, and top five would push him past Michael Jordan, which I imagine is sort of the bellwether or watermark that every player coming up hopes to hit. Before we get back to the Nets, I do want to take a minute to examine the Pacers since they were on the other side of this equation and they played a part in this game, obviously, and how it went. They were severely undermanned with Malcolm Brogdon, Torrey Craig, Chris Levert, TJ Warren, and TJ McConnell all out for one reason or another. Hence the star turn for Lance Stevenson, who got a chance to show he could still play on a 10-day with the Atlanta Hawks and his former Pacers coach, Nate McMillan. So note to all the young players out there, treat your coach well, because you never know when you might need him more than he needs you. In any case, the Hawks didn't sign him for a second 10-day, but his performance was strong enough that when he became available, Pacers snapped him up on another 10-day. Now, Lance is not Rick Carlisle's kind of player, I assure you. But he's such a fan favorite, and the Pacers are so anemic right now. It was a smart move by GM Kevin Pritchard. If nothing else, Lance is the 
shiny object that maybe distracts everybody from the fact that they went and got Rick Carlisle and they are in no better shape than they were last year. Actually, might be worse. The reality is, though, when it comes to Lance, that they wound up asking a guy who has been out of the league for more than two years to be the go-to guy against Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie. Not exactly a fair fight or an unforeseeable outcome. Lance had 20 points in the first quarter and 10 more over the final three quarters, including only two in the final 12 minutes. But don't put the loss on Stevenson or think that the Nets had some dominant performance in winning. They absolutely coasted through most of the first three quarters and trailed by double digits for most of that time. The mistake the Pacers made, and I felt this as I watched it, was being content with a 15 to 17 point lead when they had a chance to push it out to 25, maybe even 30. The Nets were going through the motions and the shots were available. And the Pacers simply didn't try to expand the lead to the max. And they should have because they don't have the closing power that the Nets have, as was proved. Uh, the Nets were making absolutely no effort to rotate out the shooters at the three-point line. The Pacers were simply unable to make them pay. Now, they finished 13 of 39 from long range. Not a horrible shooting percentage. Unless you take into account that at least 29 of those 39 were wide open. I mean, catch, set your feet, check the wind direction, and then let it fly open. No one coming at you. No one thinking about running at you. You can shoot it whenever you want. Justin Holiday had one three-point attempt blocked, but the other nine were completely uncontested, and he made exactly one. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Kyrie does indeed add something to the Nets arsenal. There's no doubt about that. But it's not a fully integrated something. He's like a musician who is a tremendous soloist. If you give him a chance to riff he will create something truly unique. Maybe something that, in the case of music, that nobody else could do. He's a John Coltrane. He talks a lot about playing entertaining basketball, and I understand why. Because Kyrie plays a very entertaining brand of basketball. Now, winning basketball, clinical basketball, it's not always that. He's, he's not the band member who's able to kind of step back into the background and he's going to give you a good baseline he's going to give you a good rhythm to play off of he's going to play the straight chords that's not Kyrie when Kyrie's not involved he's really not involved he's just standing over in the corner 
Now, he made a few simple plays to create baskets for his bigs, but in general, it's give Kyrie the ball and watch the show, which has its value for sure, but it is in no way as beneficial to his team as, say, the way Steph Curry plays or James Harden when he so chooses. Kyrie is a true, pure scoring guard. The tricky part is figuring out how to integrate someone whose greatest value is getting the ball and scoring with two other guys who are equally and even more lethal in ways at that very skill. The ideal for any team is that you have different guys with different strengths and different roles. And I suppose you could make the case that the way in which KD and Kyrie and James score is a little bit different. And therefore, I don't know that it's complimentary, but you're covering different areas of the game. I suppose if I if I wanted to really make a hard case for why this might work for the Nets, that's the direction I would go. But that's not the division of labor that I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of more along the lines of Clay and Steph and Draymond. Distinct differences in where they provide their strengths. I just wish there was one guy among those top three who was, without question, a great defensive player. The backbone to your defense. And maybe Kevin Durant is that. I've noticed that James Harden is spending a lot of time defending bigs, which I think is a, a sneaky, smart move because he has the size, the, the, the girth and strength to stand them up. And he's a little bit better of a post defender than he's ever been given credit for. He was good going all the way back to Oklahoma City. That's one of the reasons why he was guarding LeBron James in that finals that the Heat ultimately won is because of Harden's ability to defend in the post. But is that enough against the very best teams? I'll tell you, it's not going to be enough against Giannis Antetokounmpo, for one. Now, as anyone who listened to this podcast last year knows, I did not think much of the Nets' defense then and expected it to be the reason for their eventual downfall. I still believe that to be the case, even though ratings and efficiency-wise... Their defense is much improved. They were ranked sixth in defensive efficiency last I checked. And I've checked in on them here and there. And it's looked better at times, but not like world beating. I'm still trying to figure out how they've risen so high in the ranks. And watching them against the Pacers, I can't possibly tell you where the improvement is. Because the Pacers scored 73 points in the first half. And as I mentioned, had all the open looks they wanted if they simply attacked and swung the ball. The Pacers simply aren't that talented. Now, my guess is that with Kyrie back and the Pacers as shorthanded as they are, the Nets couldn't help but operate on the premise that they really didn't have to kill themselves defending because the disparity in scoring talent would be enough to get them a win. And it was. By the third quarter, end of the third quarter, when it got to single digits, Kyrie hit a buzzer beater at the end of the third, going into the fourth. You knew the Pacers were cooked. Once it got into single digits, that was way too close. 12 points would have been way too close. They needed to make it 22, 23, 24, so that the Nets were going to have to press a little bit, which would open it up 
for the Nets, for the Pacers to continue to score at the other end. But the real game changer was not Kyrie. It was DeAndre Bembry, who appeared to fall out of the rotation in the first half to make room for Kyrie. But he was so impactful when he first, when he got his first run in the second half, that Steve Nash had no choice but to stay with him. Now, Bembry didn't play a single minute in the first half, and then he played 20 of 24 minutes in the second half, made all five of his shots, and he finished with, check this out, a mind-boggling plus 24. A plus 24 playing 20 minutes. I don't know the last time I saw a player tip the scales that profoundly in such a small span of playing time. Maybe Dwight Howard two years ago with the Lakers. I'd have to go back and check. Now, James Johnson, who played nearly 10 minutes in the first half, never got off the bench in the second. Neither did Blake Griffin, and LaMarcus Aldridge basically had a second-half cameo. If you're looking for the culprits with the shovels that dug that first-half hole, look no further. The mistake that some make is thinking that having Kyrie means you simply add his 20 points in production to whatever the Nets have been doing to this point. But in much the same way there were Nets who had to sit to make room for Bembry, Kyrie getting touches and shots impacts the roles that others had while he was gone. And perhaps most notably, Patty Mills. He played 35 minutes against the Pacers and had six shots, making only two of them. Just the specter of Kyrie coming back appears to have affected him because he was even more unpatty like in the previous game against Memphis going 0 for 6. And that was also the first time since Thanksgiving that his shot attempts were in single digits. The question will be whether or not he can maintain his efficiency getting only a handful of shots a game whenever Kyrie is available. If anyone is going to see their role yo-yo as a result of Kyrie's part-time availability, it's probably Mills, which means he's the one to watch to see how he handles it. He was, after all, perhaps the Nets' biggest offseason addition, and for much of this season, he's made that look like a shrewd move. Because against the better teams, he is more than likely to be exploited on defense. So the question is going to be, can he make enough of an offensive impact in a limited role to offset that when he's playing more of a contributing, hey, I'm over here when you need me role on offense. Now, when the Nets first announced that they were bringing back Kyrie to play part-time in spite of his non-vaccinated status, I made the case on Speak for Yourself that it would undermine the authority of GM Sean Marks and head coach Steve Nash because they weren't staying true to their position which is that they didn't think it was in the best interest of the team to have a part-time player. I still feel there's a danger for any front office or head coach in doing that, changing policy. In much the same way, parents undermine their authority with their kids when they promise consequences for a certain behavior and then don't hold firm on doling out the promised punishment. Bruce Arians of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers saying that when he signed Antonio Brown, there would be no second chances for bad behavior. 
but then excused Brown when he filed a fake vaccination card with the league and welcomed him back after a three-game suspension because the Bucks were short of wide receivers. That's another example. And we saw what Antonio Brown subsequently did. He apparently thought he was going to get yet an- another chance. Still does. I find it similar to the Kyrie situation and that I can't help but feel that circumstances prompted the Nets to bring him back. And we know how Kyrie behaves when he feels entitled. Do we not? Now, what I've loved about it is since he's come back, he seems to have been humbled by this whole circumstance, by the realization that, yes, the Nets will move on and play without you. The Nets can be successful without you. They can win without you. So I don't know how it's going to play as he returns and I suppose it depends on how he plays and how the Nets play and what their level of success is. I hope that we still continue to see this level of humility. This idea that if you really do love the game, if you really do want to play, then you need to make some concessions. Now, as of right now, the Nets are the ones that are making the concession. But Kyrie now knows, without a shadow of a doubt, who holds the cards and the keys. Now, the Nets are not playing well and have a host of other players who have missed time because of COVID. Their offense in particular has slipped. And I had a GM push back on my idea that Marks and Nash were hurt by their decision to bring Kyrie back because it's not their policy, he said, that forced them to sit him in the first place. It was a city mandate and Commissioner Adam Silver that forced their hand. And... I guess I see what he's saying. The mandate hasn't changed, but Silver announcing that the league had no intention of shutting down despite the rise in players testing positive for COVID opened the door for the Nets to bring him back because essentially everyone is now playing with part-time players and the league is creating rules and allowing in order to allow that to happen. So the Nets can make the case that It would have put them at a competitive disadvantage before, and that's why they made the decision. But it doesn't now so they can bring him back. That they're not really changing their policy other than circumstances have changed. So the reason they created that policy in the first place no longer exists. That at least is what this GM was trying to convince me of. And I see what he's saying, and when he first said it, I thought he had a point. But then I remembered a conversation that I had with someone in the Nets organization. And they indicated that the team was exasperated with Kyrie. That he seemed to be working off of his own agenda. This was when there were rumors. This was before it was decided. They ultimately announced that they weren't going to have him as a part-time player. And there were rumors that Kyrie still might consider getting vaccinated. The indication I got was that the team at one point during the preseason, had the impression that Kyrie was willing to get vaccinated and then flipped on them. Now, someone else who knows Kyrie well, also with the organization, suggested that the higher-ups misread him, that he never had any intention of getting vaccinated. And I suppose both of them could be right. Kyrie might have been vague about his intentions, and the Nets took that as a sign that he wouldn't stand firm if it meant missing games. While the person who knows him knew that Kyrie was not getting vaccinated no matter what the cost, even if it meant missing games. 
It was just a matter of who knew him better, as opposed to necessarily the signals that Kyrie was, was, was sending. I'm still not convinced having Kyrie as a part-time player is going to allow the Nets to develop a championship caliber form. In the big picture, it's better than not having him at all, and if by spring the mandate in New York is lifted, then Kyrie and the Nets will be better prepared to have him play full-time than if he didn't play at all until the mandate was lifted. But there are so many elements of the game that need to be honed when you're talking about winning a championship, and not in practice, but against a live, unpredictable opponent. Because you're going to have to face a number of the best opponents five, six, seven times, and you're going to have to be able to execute with them knowing exactly what it is that you want to do. So you're going to have to be precise and exact. You're going to have to execute better offensively than they do defensively, or vice versa. These are situations that need to be tested over and over again to figure out what the best option is for each one, especially for a team like the Nets that have guys that are capable of doing the same thing. You need to find out who's going to have the ball in their hands and what role everyone else has to play around that guy. And if there weren't teams ahead of the Nets in figuring that out, who have already had the opportunity to hone that in the playoffs last year, like the Bucks and the Hawks and the Heat, then I might think that they could get away with learning on the fly because their overall talent can make up for a lot of decisions, deficiencies. And I'm not forgetting that the Nets were in the playoffs last year, but they weren't in the, in the playoffs last year with Kyrie Irving. Um, by the way, just as an aside, I've never seen KD look as unstoppable as a scorer. It's not a matter of someone forcing him into a bad shot. It's simply a matter of whether he's going to take an errant shot. But still, as great as he has been, and as much as Harden is improving, they need to figure out where Kyrie fits in this equation. Because where Kyrie fits affects Patty Mills, affects DeAndre Bembry, affects a lot of different pieces. And hopefully they will have a full complement at the end of the year. But figuring out how all those pieces fit is as important as simply having the talent available. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United WeCast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. A lot going on in the last few days when it comes to the NBA. Warriors struggling. Steph Curry struggling. We might have to get into where the Warriors stand at this point, but we also have the kerfuffle in Houston with the Rockets. Promised that we would talk about that. So number of things that we can get into in the next episode, and I assure you that we will with one of them maybe even two. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.